Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast with our Ask the Expert series, a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Now, today I'm really looking forward to speaking with Stefan Fable, who's the Director of Product at Canonical. Now, Stefan has over 15 years of contributions in product management, technical cloud architecture, software development, and product development. In the course of his career, Stefan has built a reputation for unwavering commitment to excellence, as well as his expertise in business, leadership, and project management, just to name a few. So Stefan, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto this podcast and talk to me today. Thanks, Max, for having me. And wow, that's quite an introduction. Well, we got to make sure we get the full greeting there and get the full introduction. Now, I appreciate you joining me because we're going to be talking about the considerations for the cloud, and we're also going to be diving a little bit into OpenStack as well a bit later. So I feel a good starting off point to explore these areas is we're seeing a real cloud-driven innovation. It's all the rage. Everyone's talking about it. But what are the ways that cloud really drives digital transformation for businesses? That's a very good question, Max. So from my perspective, I think the most fundamental way that the cloud drives transformation is the shift in economics. So we're really looking at elimination of practically all upfront costs, right? I mean, you simply can get started whenever you want at whatever scale you want. You are now switching to consumption-based billing. You don't have an upfront investment anymore. You don't have the depreciation period of your hardware and that upfront capex that you spend and the data centers themselves don't have to be managed anymore right you outsource all of this and you simply consume all of the compute and the storage and the network as you need it so that's very different and at least ostensibly offers you the ability to switch providers of infrastructure right i mean if you make the investment into your own data center then more or less you're stuck with that data center right you've made those choices at one point, and then you kind of have to live with them for a while. And at least the public cloud offers you the ability to go from one to the other, at least on the surface of it, for sure. It kind of provides that flexibility, doesn't it, that a lot of organizations need to be looking towards as they kind of grow and evolve. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, like I said, at least when you get started, I think the deeper you go into with a particular cloud and you start consuming more cloud-specific services, the less of a clean story that becomes, obviously, because now there is a form of lock-in that you might be subject to. But overall, I think it's a lot easier that when you get started on a particular cloud to then switch away to another one. It's much harder to switch from traditional stacks that are non-cloudy to other traditional stacks. Something that's interesting to explore with the kind of challenges that does come with this, because cloud, as you mentioned, it's fantastic in terms of what it can offer and what it can bring to a company, but there's still obstacles that come with it from a company. What are those obstacles that the majority of businesses are facing and really how can they overcome that? I think that something that people talk very little about comparatively to the economics anyway is i think the need for an increasingly amount of automation so we're really looking at a totally different type of full automation than anything we've looked at before and the more you actually fully automate it the more real that promise of portability becomes and the more real that advantage becomes that you get by 
leveraging consumption-based compute in network and storage. So, you know, taking a look at full state machines, for example, think of Kubernetes, the way that Kubernetes is automating workloads and maintaining a specific KPI, like uptime or something like that. That is very different from traditional configuration management approaches that we've seen in the past. So all of that portability is there, but it does require you to have full automation in order to make that switch less painful, I suppose. The second thing that I would like to kind of highlight here is definitely a skills challenge that comes along with this. So you really fundamentally have to rethink your app development. How do you deploy those applications? How do you operate them? And then how do you measure success? Let me give you an example. A cloud-native approach for uptime would be that it doesn't really matter whether a particular piece or, or portion of an application remains up. So measuring you know, the uptime of a particular container, for example, is not as important as it is to measure the uptime of or the availability of that overall service. In fact, it is expected that containers die on a regular basis for whatever reason. Um, there, there could be any number of reasons for that container to fail. And when it does, you know, uh, Kubernetes anyway, and also VM equivalent approaches, typically just kill the VM or kill the container and restart that container somewhere else. You see a very similar approach to storage, for example, with Ceph, where failure is expected. It's built into the system. It is very clear that at some point something will go wrong. And so rather than building this very expensive infrastructure around a single piece of infrastructure and you try to protect it at any cost, and that's where you sink your costs, you flip that on its head and you say, well, that individual thing doesn't matter as much. I can kill it and restart it again. It doesn't really matter. I just need to build the processes that let me do that, allow me to do that, allow me to recover gracefully here. And so getting into the habit of recovering gracefully and using that and defining that as the new normal, I think it's key for operations there. And it is one of the challenges because it does require a fundamental cultural shift in how you view operations and how you define success. Okay, that's interesting then. So when we're talking about bringing these implementations in then, when you're educating businesses around these facts and and you really want to showcase all of these benefits that it can bring, how do you position that in a way that a business is understanding how cloud can be beneficial for them versus company X over there? For cloud, you know, whether that's on-premise or that is in the public space, it's really important to keep a couple of things in mind. So first of all, I think it is important to really think about open source because fundamentally all cloud stacks or the majority of the cloud stacks that are out there today, I don't know any that don't have one element of open source in them. And so with this proliferation of open source everywhere, whether that's on-premise or in public cloud, there's a couple of questions that are very difficult to find an answer to if you don't work with a partner. And so both from a skills perspective, as well as from an open source perspective, I think it is very important for enterprises to work with someone who can provide a more comprehensive view of you know, the entirety of the space. So the way that I look at this is, is that when you implement open source in a cloud native way and you do this at scale and you do this on a public cloud and you might be introducing new technologies such as Kubernetes or OpenStack or any of those, then 
there's a couple of questions that you need to find answers to. So number one, security. How do you patch your open source that you're going to deploy? Here, I think it is extremely important to note that the proliferation of open source is not just in its usage, but also it's in its creation, right? When you look at who created open source 20 years ago, that is a very different persona than who creates open source today. In fact, today, most open source is actually either created or contributed to by people who aren't in the business of creating software. These are practitioners. These are companies that have nothing to do on the face of it with software, right? They do something else entirely, but they still contribute to open source because they found something that needed creating and they found something that created value for them. And now they decided to publish that into the larger community. And so who takes responsibility for that thing now when there is a security patch to be applied? Who takes responsibility for that when it's time to upgrade? Or who could potentially offer managed services here? So looking at that is extremely important. One of the fundamental questions that we have when we talk to customers, how do you plan on doing this? And obviously, we're positioning ourselves as a partner there. The second thing is the skills challenge, right? And so let me maybe give you an example. In the early days of OpenStack, there was a very active community around OpenStack practitioners who were both very active contributors to OpenStack, to the project itself, but also very avid practitioners themselves. And so they created great teams you know, at great companies, and it did really, really well, creating large stacks of OpenStack, pushing the boundaries beyond anything they would defy product definitions, right, from vendors. Vendor would say, well, the OpenStack can scale this much. And they would say, well, you know, let me show you how it's done. And then they, they were able to scale it much higher, for example. So there was a lot of conversation there. And, you know, and there was this notion, well, open source allows us to be vendorless, right? We don't need a vendor. There's no need for us to engage with anybody. But, you know, you can only keep smart people so long and have a tendency to switch employers. and so. I've seen this over and over again, where a really specialized cloud that had all kinds of tuning done to it and just was working very excellently, it was really only working well for that very smart team. And once that team moved on, which happened multiple times in this industry, then the company was left sitting with this well-oiled machine, but you know that oil is running out every once in a while. So you know, what do you do then? It ended up being a mess. And most of them actually ended up killing that project and then doing something else instead, which is a shame. Open source is extremely important in all aspects of our industry to grow and evolve and, and provide new ideas. And it's important to have that element moving forward. And, and OpenStack is obviously such a major factor with it. So is there anything that you would say to companies that are looking to get started with their OpenStack, or, or is that still an option anymore? Where would you say we're at with that? I think OpenStack is absolutely an option. I think it is very viable. It's a very active community still. You know, I don't think that newer innovation that came after OpenStack is now set out to replace it. I think it's still a very viable option to proprietary alternatives like VMware or bare metal management of machines or KVM clusters, any of this. So I think OpenStack has a lot of advantages. It has a tremendous track record in the telco industry. So I think it's an extremely viable option to run your infrastructure, number one. But I think when people start out, they tend to forget that the economics are everything. So being able to roll out a new OpenStack cloud and then 
driving that to success and driving that project to success hinges on your ability to offer infrastructure at better economics than the alternatives, whatever they may be. So if you are in, in a company that has an ELA going with, let's say, VMware, for example, then you know it's very hard to prove the economics of an OpenStack cloud that might not come yet, at least in the beginning, right, when you get started with the same type of economics. But it's super important to get there as soon as possible and to show a path to get there as soon as possible. I've seen it over and over again where the workload onboarding motion was interrupted for what ended up being very small architectural reasons and details that really could be taken care of later. But really, they were front-loaded, right? People wanted to you know, finalize every architectural decisions up front, and they dragged out that OpenStack implementation for months, giving less time, you know, for everybody else to actually onboard the workloads. And at the end of the day, then that led to bad economics, right? It led to the fact that not a lot of VMs were running per CPU. And so that led to the fact that the cost per VM hour remained high. And so I think that is something you need to just take a cold, hard look at every quarter, and you need to drive that very specifically and very pointedly to a place where it makes sense to run workloads on that OpenStack. The second thing is you should stick to the core of OpenStack. OpenStack has a gazillion modules you could add on that accumulated over the last 10 years that this project existed. And some of those were abandoned. Some of them you know, have a low quality because lack of contributions. Some of those modules were initial attempts at something that then have been replaced with in a different technology entirely. And you just have to be upfront and honest about this, right? You know, From the way that I see it, you should use OpenStack to focus on compute, network, and storage. And if you do that and you stay focused on the core responsibilities here, then you'll see success quite quickly. Otherwise, you take a higher and higher risk that you introduce code that is not well-maintained or that carries some security risk. So from my perspective, you know, that's the second most important thing there. And then the third I mentioned already, I, I definitely recommend to work with a partner and stick with the product definition of what OpenStack is supposed to do and, instead of building something completely custom. Mm. On average, do you think a lot of businesses are following that kind of plan or do you think it's more the latter and there needs to be a bit more education around proper usage? I think we grew up. Yeah. I think in the beginning, certainly that latter was the case, but I think that exactly represents this hard lesson over the last, well, I want to say five years, six years since OpenStack really became commercially viable. And I think in those first three, four years there and you just saw a lot of failures simply because they ignored this. But I mean, at the end of the day, right, in the beginning of, of OpenStack, part of how companies differentiated was through their skill set, right? We're the experts. We can build you anything you need. And so I think it was kind of joint learning here and joint maturing between the industry as well as the customer space. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's definitely taking that education and growing with it. And it's an innovative product and people are able to use it as they need to. And as you say, now it's at a very nice point where, where people can use it effectively. And speaking of new products, which I want to wrap up the podcast by talking about, is obviously you guys have introduced the Ambox Cloud, which is a very impressive little model that you've come up with that 
Now, correct me if I'm wrong, it containerizes workloads using an Android model, and then it allows companies and providers to deliver mobile applications at scale, but also from a secure standpoint as well. Can you give me a little bit more background on how Ambox came about and where you see it kind of heading in the next five years? So Anbox Cloud is a product we launched, you know, just last month. We've been working with a whole host of partners, including Intel and Peer and Packet, to sort of launch this product. You're right, it is a containerized way to run Android applications at scale. So this is a container management solution for Android apps that are being hosted typically on bare metal using our Linux container hypervisor called LexD. And, you know, you essentially provision Android applications in within those containers that are running Ubuntu machines and then leveraging the hardware, typically GPUs, to stream graphic-intensive applications over the network. And so primarily, of course, that is very interesting for 5G use cases where gaming at the edge or, you know, kind of a streaming gaming approach might be very interesting. And indeed, that's one of the use cases that we've uh, been exploring with some of our launch partners and, and others as well. But, you know, it also works very well over Wi-Fi. And obviously, you know, there is also usage that you can achieve over 4G, albeit, you know, limited given the available bandwidth with that technology. So, you know, some of the use cases that we look at when we, we think of Anbox Cloud is, a, I want to just mention game streaming or streaming of graphics intensive applications doesn't always have to be a game, right? Think of AR, for example, think of VR, you know, those things could be streamed and they could be streamed very well using Nbox Cloud. The second use case that we can think of is, for example, CICD, you want to create a test bed across, you know, many different end devices with many different versions of your software, right? You could actually provision those using Nbox Cloud rather than having to, you know, to run those on, on individual phones, for example, or tablets or devices to test it. So you can test different screen sizes, all of those things completely automatically across a wide range of app versions, for example, and then increase the automation of your testing of those Android applications. So that's another very interesting use case for folks that they have been asking about. And then the third one is a little bit more enterprise focused. So imagine in today's world, you really are implementing, or many enterprises today are implementing a BYOD, bring your own device strategy. So typically that results in you know certain apps that you want your employees to install and, you know, authenticate and all of that. And then you introduce two-factor authentication, all of those things to try and secure that application access to the data on a device that is essentially not under your control. Now, with Nbox Cloud, a world is possible where you could imagine, for example, upon entering the premises, you could actually start streaming those apps and then maintain full control over how that app is being presented to the employee, what kind of information is being offered at that point, and you could make it location aware because that could only happen if you enter that Wi-Fi, for example. And then upon leaving the premises, those employees would, would lose access to this. They There aren't any installed apps that are actually on the phone physically itself. All data is retained within the enterprise. So we see that as a very interesting use case for Anbox Cloud. Now, we have to add that there are ways to host Android, of course, other than Nbox Cloud, and they have been there before. So virtual machine-based hosting, for example. But we chose Linux containers because it actually allows us to do this at a much higher density 
than what VMs would allow us to do and speed up the provisioning and deprovisioning of those Nbox containers. You know, it's much quicker using Linux containers versus, for example, KVM-based approaches. Those three elements that you just listed there from gaming and even the security from an enterprise perspective should be grabbing a lot of people's attention because I think that's an issue a lot of people are facing at the moment to bring your own devices. So it's interesting to see how that functions. And it works on a public and private cloud network as well. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, it works for Edge. Uh, It works in a public cloud. It works on your private on-premise data center. It does not matter. Excellent. Wow. It's exciting to see where this is going to head over the next couple of years. Thank you so much, Stefan, for coming on and explaining all of this to us. It's been great having you on today. Oh, thank you, Max. Thanks for having me. Of course. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to our conversation today. Make sure you head on over to em360tech.com for more great content. And we'll be back next week with another in the Ask the Expert series. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.